So with time, um, my mentor's always been really helpful, um, which I think has been important that she has always given up her time for me, whether it was in our meeting time or even just having an open door policy to help me with any questions or problems that I might have. Um, but then also the expectations that I, they're really high and I'm continuously getting pushed, whether it's getting me um, to challenge my own thinking or encouraging me to read more articles and reflect on them and write blog posts. So, listening to the NZPE TeacherCast, a podcast sharing some of the inspirational stories from amazing teachers and educators within New Zealand and around the world. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With online achievements and badges for completing key tasks, My Study Series ensures students are highly engaged and motivated to learn. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome back to the NZPE TeacherCast. I'm pumped to be interviewing Mallory Bush today from King's College in Auckland. Mallory is a fantastic health and PE teacher who's been innovating since she started her career 18 months ago. She's a big proponent of social media and co-hosts the NZBT Chat on Twitter with Georgia Doherty. Mallory and Georgia were also awarded the Outstanding New Professional at the recent PENS conference, recognition that was well deserved for both of them. Today's episode is a unique one because we put a request out for questions on Twitter and I must admit we have some stunning questions and so I can't wait to hear the responses. So Mallory, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So a little bit different today, we've received all of these questions from uh, people on Twitter which I think is really cool and the questions that we have for you are, um, are really, they're quite deep questions um, so I'm pretty pumped to hear how you respond but first of all how has the rest of your um your break been your holiday break's been really good thank you managed to relax after pens for a bit but all ready to start the new term you must be pretty um oh, stoked or happy or well, i'm not sure what the word would be but you you took took out along with georgia the the outstanding emerging teacher award is that the name of it um, yeah, the outstanding new professional. Yeah. That was really cool and really surprising. So we were both really humbled that we even received anything like that or were considered for something like that. Well, I think it's really good recognition of, of the work that you two have put in over the last sort of 12 months. And I think it's um, re- really, really cool that we're able to recognise teachers who are putting in hard work and doing really good things within PE. So um, big congratulations to you. Thank you. <laughs> So we'll get started. First, first question from Matt Lambert, who's head of PE at um, Hiratonga College. What would you put into a PE teacher's starter pack, both physically and mentally and emotionally? Um, that was a really good question. This was a question that made me think quite a lot. Um, so I suppose I put some characteristics in there as well as some physical things that I actually think teachers need. Um, Some of the characteristics were to be open-minded, to be patient, and to be flexible, because those were three things that I found that I really needed over um, my first year and a half. Um, As for some more of the physical things, I suppose, 
Um, things that I've really needed is a critical friend. So someone who can challenge and question my way of thinking to make sure that I'm not, well, that I'm considering all options. Um, also a supportive friend and some typical things like some calming tea or wine or chocolate or whatever floats your boat for stressful times. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, that critical friend, I think it's really important that uh, we've, we've, we've got one of those at all levels of your career, even you know, an experienced teacher, it's really important that you're still being challenged, even though you've been in the game, you might have been in the game 10, 12, 15 years, you still want to have that, um, not pressure, but that encouragement to keep uh, trying new things and not getting stale in your teaching. So I think it's yeah. uh, really cool that you, you mentioned that. Um, tell me a little bit more about the need to be flexible. What do you mean by that? Um, well, just the fact that you could have something planned for a day and then your whole day goes out the window because you have to um, deal with something, whether it's something you plan to do in your free period that you don't get the opportunity because something else comes up or if half the class doesn't turn up for one of your lessons, just all of those things, all the unknowns that I suppose you learn to expect with teaching. Yeah, I think as you as you get more experienced you you can deal with those so much easier but definitely coming in I remember back to my first year teaching and it was just the whole thing the whole year was chaos you just didn't you didn't know you (laughs) didn't have the experience to just take that you know take that in stride and just move on but um you know so being able to be flexible I think is really important as well so second question um from Hayden Viles from Takapuna Grammar so as a beginning teacher how have you managed a balance between school life social life and family time and has it affected your whole order at all? Um, I actually thought that, well, it made me reflect over what last year was like and what this year's been like, because they've been quite different for me. Um, my first year, I had a rule for myself that I wasn't going to take my work home. So I'd rather stay at school until the work was done to make sure that I didn't have to take that home with me. And that actually seemed to work most of the time. Um Whereas this year, I've found that the bigger workload and the different classes, variety of classes I have, it's almost been impossible to have that way of thinking. I tried it at the start of the year, so instead I've tried putting other strategies in place. So I suppose some of those strategies are an example that every Sunday night is a family dinner. So that's a scheduled time that's blocked out. And I try to leave early one day after school each week to have a no work evening, I suppose. What times? What times early for you? Um, pretty much as soon as that last the bell goes for school, that I need to get out of there, otherwise I will stay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's 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 really um, it's really good to to schedule that time in. You know, you've got that dinner and then you schedule in that one day. I think that's really important because you've got to look after yourself. It's such a demanding job at times, and I've got friends and we talk about um, the demands the evening work and stuff like that. And I just, I think they don't get it. But, you know, when you have to take that work home and you're up late planning for the next lesson or the next day, um, it does yeah. it does take it out. And, you know, it's, it's good to schedule that time in like you're doing. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose in regards to the effect on my hoarder is that I've learned pretty much through trial and error what the importance and what needs I have in my life in regards to get my work, life, family balance right. Yeah, nice. Um, third question is from a teacher all the way from Chicago, Illinois, in the States, and he is a health teacher named Andrew Milne, and he asks, how important has social media been for professional development and also in providing support um, over the last year for you? 
Um, it's been really important. Um, I One thing that still amazes me about social media and especially Twitter is how many connections that I've made through social media that I might not have made otherwise. And also through that way, I've gained a few PD opportunities that wouldn't have come about. So for an example, last year, I got to go to Alfriston College and look at their integrated learning program. And that all came about because of a Twitter chat um, on integrated learning. So that was really cool. Um, <clears throat> as for support, um, actually, the, well, obviously I'm going to say this, but the creation of the NZBT chat has been so cool. I think that's partially because you get to talk to a whole lot of other beginning teachers in your learning area and it's the fact that you don't feel like you're alone and all of these little things that go through your head you are in the same boat with everyone else so that's really cool yeah the, the bt chat has has been really good how do you how do you find i always wonder this with a with a twitter chat because you're limited by those 140 characters um ha, do you find the, the discussions are quite um you can't get in depth enough with those discussions. Do you find that? Um, yes and no. I suppose yes, you can only give a certain well with your char limited characters, you can only give a certain answer. But then it's the fact that it gives people an opportunity to ask more if they want to find out more as well. Yeah. And you you did some. Did you co-present with Georgia on the use of Twitter as professional development at Pens recently? Yes, I did. So we pretty much gave our story as BTs and how why Twitter has been really important for us for both our um, professional and personal development. And that was, was that well received? Yeah, that was really cool. I suppose one thing that Georgia and I have actually said to each other is how cool it is that seeing going on Twitter and seeing active users who created their Twitter account in our session. That's been really cool. Nice, nice. Uh, next question, um, Andrew Joyce, he's from Altair College. How much freedom or support have you been given by your HOD or mentor, mentors or SLT to craft your pedagogy? And do you feel you have autonomy over how you teach? Um, I personally feel like I've been given quite a lot of freedom. I've always been encouraged by whether it's my HOD or my um, PCT leader at school to try new things. Um, rather than wonder what would happen if I tried them. So I find that I've been fully supported that way and also to develop my own teaching style. So definitely think I've been given a lot of freedom and support and I've been very lucky for that. But what, what would you what would you prefer? More freedom more freedom to kind of find your way or would you prefer more um, you know, you were given everything that you had to teach, which which would you prefer and why? Um, I suppose my personal preference would be a bit of both. Um, obviously, it's helpful to get given something that you can work with or then turn into your own style of teaching um, and try new ideas based on what they would like you to teach. So I suppose the bit of both, the being given something allows you to gain new ideas and then take it in your own direction, which I think is important. Do you have any examples of where you might have had an opportunity like that? Um, that's a good question. I can think of something and I suppose it goes into one of the questions later on. Do you okay. want me to go no, through no, no, that no, now? No, or no, 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 <laughs> well, um, Just remind me when we get to that question and you can, okay. you can we can link the two. Um, 
Next question, Paul O'Leary from Long Bay College. I think you know him quite well. Yeah. Have you encountered any resistance to trying new things? Because you're quite innovative and, um, you know, you, you, you're big on social media and stuff like that. So if you have encountered any resistance, how have you managed to deal with that? Um, I haven't actually count, encountered too much resistance. Um, I have encountered like a, a little bit, but I've always found that when I have encountered resistance, I've always tried to choose my words wisely and carefully around trying to get my point across. So probably so I don't offend anyone, especially if it's their idea. Um, but also I then try to point out the benefits that I believe will occur of the change um, and also offer to trial it first or be the guinea pig if need be. And I suppose that links to the last question. Where... Yeah, it's really good to, to be the role model. I mean, you're always going to find resistance to change when something's, when people feel threatened by something new or something innovative. So that's a really good um, piece of advice, I think, to um, be the role model and show firsthand that it can work and it is a good option to take and it is going to have a good impact on your students. Um, so that's that's really choice to hear. Next question, Joe Smith from Altia College. What advice do you have for mentor teachers and what has helped you the most? Um, I suppose I summed it up into two things, um, time and actually having high expectations. So with time, um, my mentor's always been really helpful um, which I think has been important that she has always given up her time for me, whether it was in our meeting time or even just having an open door policy to help me with any questions or problems that I might have. Um, but then also the expectations that I, they're really high and I'm continuously getting pushed, whether it's getting me um, to challenge my own thinking or encouraging me to read more articles and reflect on them and write blog posts. So, yeah, that's been two things that I'd sum it up. Did you did you choose your own mentor? Um, no, I didn't. How no, did I that didn't. work? How how were you given your mentor? Um, so I'm not a hundred percent sure how I was given my mentor, or if, but yeah, pretty much my HODs just become my mentor, and I'm not okay. sure if it was just assigned that way yep. or. And that, that relationship there is that is it kind of reciprocal? So you know that your HOD is trying to learn from a beginning teacher as well? Yeah, definitely. She's really open-minded, so that's always cool. We can always have great chats about anything, really. We'll read the same article and then actually see what each of us picked out of it because we might have found different points. Yeah. So, yeah. Nice. We've got another question from Hayden Viles now from Takapuna Grammar. How important has critical reflection been in your ongoing development of personal pedagogy um, again I think that your critical reflection is really important um, I find that I'm always reflecting um, yeah, constant reflection after every lesson every encounter with a parent those sorts of things um, but I suppose I always make sure to make a note and for, try and formalize them otherwise it's all well and good having that in my head but if I don't actually sit down and spend the time to reflect on it, I find that I could quite easily let it slip, I suppose. Yeah. How does that, how does that process look for you? Like how, what do you use to take your notes and stuff like that in your reflections? Um, so I quite often will take notes, whether it's um, a specific note on a unit that I've taught um, to remind me for 
the next time that we look at that unit and whether we want to change anything for next year. Um, but whether it's either writing it down as a quick note or otherwise going in a bit more detail and writing it in a blog post. Okay. And what's, what's your blog, by the way, so listeners can chase that up? I will need to find the link for that one. Um, I can put it in the show notes afterwards. Don't worry about it. Oh, yeah. That'd be easier, please. And so one thing I struggle with because, yeah, I mean, reflection is really important. And you mentioned about reflecting at the end of the unit. How do you then make sure that you're able to action some of that reflection? Like quite often I find that I will get to a new unit and we'll be rushed and I'll jump straight in and teach that unit and then I'll get halfway through and I'll remember that I took notes last year on it and I look at those notes and I haven't actioned any of that stuff. So what's some advice or some tips about how or how do you go about making sure that that, uh, your reflections are actually taking action and and adjusting what you've done in the past? Um, I suppose it depends whether it's about a note about a specific unit. I just keep all my notes on files and units on files as well. So I can easily look back to how I did things last year and then um, see the notes about what I thought did work, what I thought didn't work, but also take into consideration that it's a new bunch of students as well. So that could always change the outcome. But also sometimes it could be something as small as the way that I, um, I suppose, introduced a topic or the fact that I know something that I've been trying to work on is to make sure that the learning is really visible. So that's something I can take from term to term. So it's a bit easier to remember. What do you mean by making the learning visible? I suppose being explicit about the why, whereas quite often I can be quite implicit and hope that the students will pick up on some of those things themselves. Um, So just really making sure that it's explicit in terms of what I'm teaching. And so, sorry, I'm going to keep asking questions because this is really no, interesting. Right. <laughs> uh, so what's your go-to for making um, that explicit to the students? Um, I suppose I try and structure the lessons. So, for example, a typical practical lesson will look at um, what we're doing today, why we're doing it, going to the activity, and then stopping every now and then and making sure that checking for understanding and then debriefing at the end of the lesson and then trying to make those links um, out of our curriculum area as well. Mm. And have you been able to compare and contrast maybe some of your, your your approaches when you were maybe a little bit more implicit as opposed to explicit? Have you been able to compare and contrast that? Um, not so much, but that would be something that would be really cool to actually do. Yeah, I think you'll definitely see the difference. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to be implicit and lazy as a teacher but you know if you put the effort in the kids recognize that and they, and they show in their level of understanding I think so yeah it's a good point to make next question from Greg Thurlow now Greg Greg's question is similar to the one by Andrew Joyce and Greg is actually he's in New Zealand at the moment um, but he's from I'm going to try to say this properly Russ Al Kaima Academy in the United Arab Emirates um, and I'm hoping to catch up with him in October which is going to be pretty cool but how could schools and unis work more collaboratively to better prepare new teachers to the profession? Um, this was probably one of my most challenging questions. So hopefully I've done my answer justice. I'm not 100% sure if I've answered the question properly, but I'm sure you'll be I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, I found that when I was at uni, practicum placements were always my favourite 
part because it was about a taster of what was about to, well, what was going to come. So I suppose the differences between the practicum placements as a student teacher and then what schools were really like as a beginning teacher, some of them were surprising for me. And I suppose talking to a lot of other beginning teachers, that's been their surprise as well. So for example, the fact that you're walking into a new class that you need to set up with your expectations and how do you introduce yourself, whereas on placement, you're walking into someone else's classroom that they've already set up with those rules and expectations and they're in the back of your classroom. Um, So the students also do give you that respect straight away most of the time. Um, And also admin. And I did not know how much admin there was in teaching, whether it's contacting home or replying to emails or report writing. Um, So I suppose all of those things were a bit of a, a well, not a shock. I knew to expect them. But, yeah, I didn't realise how prevalent they were. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, the, it's, it's, a different, it's a different game once you've got your own classroom. And it's a lot, I think it's a lot easy, easier once you've got your own class and it's challenging stepping into somebody else's class because you're kind of already tied in by whatever that teacher's expectations are for his or her students. I, um, I had a funny story when I was a student teacher. I'm not going to name the school, but I rocked up. I think it was my second practicum, and the teacher came up to me, and he handed me a box, and he said, um, everything you need to teach for the next six weeks is in, in this box, and um, all the best, and I'll see you in six weeks. And I never I never saw the teacher again. Oh, well. And, um, you know, for me, that was – I learned a lot in that practicum, and in hindsight – that was probably one of the best experiences for me, but it could have gone either way. You know, I could have flopped terribly and not had any support and had no idea and stuff like that. But um, thankfully, it panned out, and the, and the kids were really good and really supportive. But um, I, I think if you're going to be an associate teacher for somebody on practicum, it's probably not the best approach to take. But it was I learned a lot <laughs> anyway. Yeah, um, I suppose I also have one other point. Um, that I suppose it was something that I hadn't seen before. It was actually when Georgia and I went and presented to um, Hayden's group of training teachers. They were just about to finish their degree. Um, We went and did a presentation about um, our life as beginning teachers. So that was really cool. But one thing that they were doing, and we walked in and they were completing an activity, which was actually looking at different NCA standards and how they could create a unit around it, looking at the specifications and clarifications and everything like that, which is something that I wouldn't have learned until I needed to in my first year. So I think the fact that they were getting something like that, and that is something that all unis could put in place in their programs, I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, that's good advice. We've got another question from Matt Lambert from Hiratonga College, and it's similar to the last one, but what can HODs um, or a department do to attract high-quality candidates or graduates with growth mindsets to apply for jobs? So what what would attract you to a department? Um, I have to admit, I had a bit of a giggle at this question when I first read it because my first reaction was I remember being a graduate and we it felt like we were all applying for anywhere where the location was appropriate or that would be happy to live just in the hope of getting a job. So that was my first thought. Um, 
So I suppose at the start we weren't exactly picky, but knowing what I know now, um, I suppose the things that um, attract me to a department or a school are things like their values, their goals, their visions, and obviously practical things like a location as well. But even the opportunity to work with certain people or work in certain departments that we've heard good things about, that could be an amazing opportunity that would make me look at certain schools. Yeah, I want to I want to work at Hiratonga College with Matt Lambert because I hear he's pretty awesome and I've seen some of the stuff he's doing, but um, I don't think he's got any vacancies for me at the moment. <laughs> um, how many jobs did you apply for? I would have no idea. I probably lost count. Really? That many? Yep. I feel like I was, well, it seemed like a group of us at uni were all applying for all of the same jobs and it was sort of like a congratulations or pat on the back if one of us got an interview. So I suppose that was the hardest thing is actually getting into that, well, actually getting into the interview stage and getting that experience. Yeah. Did did you look outside of Auckland? Um, Yes, I did. I considered places that I would consider moving to outside of Auckland and I'm not actually sure if I applied to any of those though because I would have preferred to have stayed in Auckland. Yeah, yeah. Did you grow up in Auckland? Yeah, yeah. So all my family's in Auckland, which is probably what has kept me here. What uh, what what high school did you go to? Um, I went to Sancta Maria College. Oh, cool, cool. Um, we, we're on to the last question already. This is going really quick. Um, and it's from your partner in crime, Georgia Daldi from Tamaki College. If you could give one piece of advice to new teachers, what would it be? This is actually such a hard question because <laughs> one one piece yeah, of totally. advice is so hard. And this is probably one that I will kick myself after the interview because I will think of something way better. <laughs> but in saying that, um, I suppose one piece of advice I would give to new teachers is to make sure that they value and make the most of their free time and their free periods because I know that is one thing that I didn't make the most of in my first year and I've definitely noticed the lack of them this year. Um, in what sense do you mean that when you have a free period you should be really knuckling down and doing some good planning or when you have a free period you should be out getting a cup of coffee? Um, I probably did a bit too much of the going out and getting a cup of coffee last year, but I was, wasn't on a full first year's teaching load. So that's what I mean. I still managed to fill up all of this free time and then have to stay after school to complete work when I could have done it so much smarter and been out a lot earlier every day. But, you oh well. <laughs> you definitely once once you start once you have a family and kids and stuff, you get really good at managing your time because you just can't afford to be spending any more time doing you know being stuck at school more than you have to. So um, it comes with time, and I'm sure you 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 are much better um, this year once you recognise that and and had some good strategies in place. I'm sure. Yeah, definitely notice an improvement in time management this year. So 2017, rest of 2017, heading into 2018, do you have any goals or anything you want to achieve before next year? Um, I suppose one of my goals, and that also links into my inquiry for this year, is especially with my Level 2 senior class, I am trying to find ways to help 
promote more self-motivated learners. So I suppose I'm really excited to see where that goes for the remainder of the year because so far um, in term two, I mainly did the research behind what a self-motivated learner might look like, what they might sound like, feel like, those sorts of things. And whereas next term, I'm looking to actually put some of those strategies in place. So that'll be cool. Are you linking that into the social responsibility standard as well? Um, No, we're not. We don't actually do the social responsibility standard. So that's actually one thing that when I went to Leslie Park's presentation about the marking and moderation for level two, I heard about that standard and I thought, oh, that sounds like it's really good, like it would link in. But I'm not sure if that's too late to include anything like that now. Well, you might still be able to slip it in. We we use it in different ways here. Some Some of our teachers use it to manage... Um, the whole year and they're always linking back to that social responsibility and whether the students are, are being accountable for what they're doing in the classroom and some teachers just use it in a, in a small period with a, with a single unit. Um, it might, might not be too late to slip it in. It's not, it's not a whole lot of work. It's just really teaching some good strategies like you're already doing and they'll probably um, blend them well um, together. You should definitely have a look at it. Okay, cool. I will have a look at that. Thanks for that. What what sort of approaches are you taking around that self-management at the moment? So I suppose the thing that's been frustrating is that I've tried some things that I suppose didn't really, I didn't really consider as a strategy until someone pointed out that, yes, they actually are strategies. So I've tried the dangling of the carrot for to try and create some sort of motivation But also when that hasn't worked, I've tried the opposite end of, I suppose, consequences for not meeting deadlines and things like that. But then also other strategies that I'm trying to put in place. um, Well, I always make sure that the students work out the answers for themselves rather than me telling them, which that can be interesting at times. Um, And also making sure that the students understand why, that it seems to be the biggest thing with this cohort. But that's also frustrating because then I feel like I risk teaching to the assessment um, where I don't really want to do that. So that's sort of where I'm struggling at the moment. I like how you, and you mentioned this earlier on, about just recognising that the cohort is going to be different each year, so you can't keep going into the next year using the same content or expecting the same outcomes because the cohorts are going to be completely different. You're going to have completely different students. They're going to have different wants, needs, and likes, and and that's where being able to tailor what you do in the classroom to meet the needs of, of the um, student is a really important skill. But it sounds like you've, you've, you're have you all on top of that one, and um, it's a big part of your teaching practice, which is awesome. Yeah, definitely trying my best. <laughs> Hey, uh, I just want to thank you for taking the time out to have a have a chat about um, how your year has been and, and answering some of those questions from our Twitter followers. I think you answered them really well. And it's, it's just awesome that we've got young teachers who are inspired about um, teaching our young people of New Zealand and seeing really good outcomes for them and as well as being innovative in their teaching practice. So big ups to you um, and I hope the rest of the year goes well for you and 2018 is is a good one for you again. Awesome, well thank you so much for the opportunity, I really enjoyed it and a lot of those questions really made me think about my practice and what I have experienced over the past year and a half so that was really cool. 
and all the best for the rest of your year as well. Yeah, cheers. Thanks, Melody.